You know, you can't understand the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 without understanding systemic racism, without understanding the systematic insecurity and changes in the nature of the economy, without understanding uh, the failures of our healthcare system to deliver equitable access to affordable healthcare for everyone. Um, and we're seeing that live and living color. That's Abdul al Sayed, the former Detroit City Health Director and 2018 Democratic candidate for governor, talking about the gaping holes of the coronavirus pandemic has exposed in Michigan's public health infrastructure. I'm Chad Livingood, Senior Editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and you're listening to the Detroit Rising Podcast. El Sayed, a doctor and epidemiologist by training, is my guest this week during an increasingly fragile period during the pandemic. In Michigan, hospitalizations for COVID-19 have surged to the fourth highest in the country. As of Thursday, November 19th, the 34 individuals hospitalized for COVID-19 in Michigan is 85% of the spring hospitalization peak, and 56% of those cases are in hospitals outside of Southeast Michigan. As I record this, there are six hospitals in Michigan at full capacity and more than a dozen others with more than 90% of their beds full. Michigan is now averaging 7,000 new cases of the virus each and every day. This week seems like an appropriate time to talk about some of the public policy issues that have surfaced during the pandemic with Abdul Al-Sayed, who is now a CNN commentator, author of the memoir called Healing Politics, and host of his own podcast, America Dissected. 2020 took a different path than we expected, but it definitely didn't slow our pace. Planet M has helped private and public entities work together to advance the future of mobility technology along a challenging course. Working together has been the key to staying on the right path. So whether you're just getting started or already an industry leader, Planet M is your connection to Michigan's mobility ecosystem and our future. If you're ready to make a move with your business, see how we can help at planetm.com slash pure hyphen partnership. Abdul, welcome to Detroit Rising. Thanks for having me, Chad. Hey, uh, let's start out. Uh, first of all, uh, most importantly, how is that little daughter of yours? She's great. She's about to turn three uh, over Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of things that she's missing out on, of course, given the pandemic. Uh, but we're trying our best to to um, to, to, to give her a, a nurturing and um, thought-provoking environment. She spends a lot of time with her. Uh, with her her grandparents, which is which has been good, but um, but she's well. How about yours? Uh, very good. Eight years old and um, and reading and writing, and it's just uh, it's just amazing to watch them uh, just absorb things and and then spit it back out on with with, with, with their hands and their and their and their thoughts. And so uh, plus they get a little more opinionated at eight, and, and I like <laughs> I like three a lot to be honest. So I'll be honest. If if uh, if they get more opinionated at eight, it doesn't bode well for me. My three year old seems to have an opinion about everything, uh, which is always fun to suss out. But isn't it uh, isn't it a blessing to be a girl dad and um, watch them grow up? It sure is. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine where where she gets her opinions from. Um, but <laughs> so um, so let's catch up a little bit. Uh, you've got a book out, uh, Healing Politics, uh, that is a a memoir and um, of your journey uh, in early life and through uh, your uh, academic studies uh, and leading up to becoming the. Um, uh, the director of the uh, Detroit uh, Health Department, and then obviously also running for governor, and and your uh, 
advocacy, uh, political advocacy uh, uh, since. Tell me a little bit about, you know, uh, what went into writing the book and, and, and sort of the journey um, you've had since. Yeah, I, I you know, I've had the privilege and, and sometimes the challenge of um, growing up in a space where I got access to a number of different worlds, you know, whether it was growing up in Southeast Michigan, as uh, many of your listeners uh, have had the experience of doing, or, you know, getting shipped off sometimes before school was over um, to uh, to Egypt, where I'd spend time with my grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, that experience helped me to see my country um, from outside of itself. And uh, that was a really important I think um, building block for me in terms of asking bigger picture questions about the forces that uh, sometimes create uh, inequity and injustice in our world. Um, and then I had the privilege of, of traveling uh, across the state when I ran for governor. And I had thought that the conventional wisdom would be true, that the challenges that people talk about in uh, communities like Flint and Detroit would be fundamentally different than the challenges that people talk about in communities like Kalkaska or uh, Marquette. And as I traveled the state, I found actually that there was so much more uh, in common um, between folks. It's just that we don't know it because of the situation uh, and the circumstances uh, in which we communicate and the fact that we're told constantly uh, that we cannot see eye to eye. And so I wanted to share um, that that set of perspectives uh, in this book. And that's why I sat down to uh, to give it a right and then, you know, to diagnose this notion uh, of what I think is ailing all of us in this country, this this epidemic of insecurity, as I called it. I you know, did a lot of teaching about what epidemiology is in the book, uh, only to realize that you know, now in the pandemic, uh, when the book actually came out, you know, everyone on Twitter is an armchair epidemiologist. So so there's that. But uh, but I really wanted to, to share how this science could help to unlock um, a broader set of challenges that we're facing and also a politics that I hope can bring us together. You were you were writing this book uh, last year, was that right? That's right. I, I started writing soon after the uh, campaign ended. Uh, I think I got to pen to paper in December of 2018, and then wrote it uh, mostly through 2019, and, and and was done with the book by September of 2019. <laughs> Obviously, I had no clue that it'd be coming out in the worst pandemic in over 100 years. But um, but yeah. you know, circumstance, what it is. What. Um... Tell me a little bit about your study of this epidemic or this pandemic. Um, what, what have you seen, and and what have you learned? What what can what have you uh, seen from, has, that has been sort of uh, unfolding compared to what you have studied about uh, past pandemics and epidemics in, in this country and world? Yeah, I'll I'll give you three um, lessons that I think. Uh, really contrast with the way that we think about epidemics in the past. The first is that we, we sometimes think that science uh, can exist independently of the political circumstances that we're in. And what we've seen in this pandemic is that it's not just that the science hasn't been there and, you know, it's coming quickly. It's that the politics hasn't been there. Uh, we've watched as the president has uh, used every opportunity to divide people, even when it comes to basic uh, interventions that individuals can do to protect themselves from this disease, like like masks and, and physical distancing. Um, and so the politics shapes so much of the way that the science is uh, understood and consumed. And I think that is really important for us to understand because we want a politics ultimately that allows science to lead and then uh, allows uh, policymakers to follow uh, with the tools and 
the resources that we need to be able to enact what that science says we ought to do. That's number one. Number two uh, is the fact that, um, you know, so much of the way that we communicate these days uh, has has, I think, splintered and independent sources of truth, which science is one, um, have been seen with a lot of skepticism. And I worry a lot about what that means uh, with respect to getting folks on the same page, particularly when we require collective action, uh, everybody doing their part uh, to take on a very serious challenge like uh, the one that we have right now with this pandemic. And then the third is that, um, you know, we, we had thought that because of our power, because of our might, uh, and because of our scientific prowess in this country, that something like this couldn't happen here. Now, those who are experts have been telling us that it was only a matter of time, but I think we got really lax. And what happened is over time, we disinvested in the institutions of public health and prevention, and um, it's left us so vulnerable uh, to something like this. But even beyond that, Right. The, the very way that we organize our society, the inequality in our society, the fact that you know, we rely on uh, on employment to deliver something as simple as health care and health insurance. Uh, all of those things are, are a real challenge because once this pandemic hit, it, it tore the curtain down uh, from so many of the systems that have been leaving people out uh, for so long. And, you know, you can't understand the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 without understanding systemic racism without understanding the systematic insecurity and changes in the nature of the economy, without understanding uh, the failures of our healthcare system to deliver equitable access to affordable healthcare for everyone. Um, and we're seeing that live and living color. Uh, and uh, it's been such a challenge to bring people uh, around to understand that they're, they're the only way around this is through this um, because there's so much distrust uh, in our, our community and in our, our body politic right now. And so there's a lot of work that we need to do, not just to take down this pandemic, but also uh, to reinvest in rethinking how these systems have worked and why they left us so vulnerable and what we can do to make sure that we're not so vulnerable in the future. Well, and you you worked at the, the um, uh, Detroit Health Department and obviously uh, as one of the local health departments, you had to interact with the county health department probably, which is separate from from Detroit and then also with the state health department. Um, throughout this, I have um, observed just, just how remarkably thin these systems are. Um, and I'll give you an example uh, as I wrote a column about this the um uh, the outbreak tracing um uh, that that the dhhs has been trying to do um has been simply um uh going around every week and sending a, a survey monkey survey to every health department uh in the state to say what is your you know what's your current contact tracing investigation showing about settings and, you know, is it a school? Is it a restaurant? Are they workers in the restaurant? Are they uh, patrons in the restaurant? Are they is it a manufacturing facility or, or an office complex? Um, and they gather this information up on, you know, the survey sent out on Thursday. They re require it back on the end of the day Friday. And then they report to the public by like three o'clock on Monday. Um, and that is as fast as it gets for telling us where the trend lines of outbreaks are in the state, um, uh, and it took you know it took months to convince the health department. I was one of the reporters involved in this to to just tell us which schools, um, uh, you know, the uh, 
outbreaks are occurring in and, and what frequency. Um, I, I just I've been kind of uh, just astounded that um, this is the system that we we have because because and that the current the, the um, what do you call it the Michigan disease surveillance system um, that can't that system is so archaic um, that and it's like 2004 archaic um, mm-hmm. that it they can't actually input information about okay um, you know Jack Smith got coronavirus at at um, at uh, Nancy's restaurant um, in in um, uh, in, in, in in Oxford or whatever, and they can't, there's no, in that current system, they, there's no way to input that information to share. That's why they had to create this separate uh, system with this survey monkey. Um, I, I, I wonder what you think about all oh, how, you know, how, how, how basic it, these systems are. Well, I really appreciate your journalism on this. Um, and uh, I'm grateful uh, for you digging in. And what you're finding is, um, you know, what those of us working in public health have known for a very long time. But even as we've raised the alarm, the willingness uh, for our political system to invest in public health has been non-existent because, of course, we thought uh, that it could never happen here. And, you know, this is the the paradox of public health is that uh, when you need us most, we need to have been invested in in the first place. And if you're playing catch up, it's already too late. And that's why it's so important to be investing in these basic means of public infrastructure, things like public health departments and uh, and, um, and, and and systems for uh, identifying and tracing uh, disease. But over time, you know, especially during the austerity years uh, of Rick Snyder's uh, time in office, we've just seen a massive disinvestment uh, in public health and those kinds of uh, infrastructure investments. And then now when we need the most, of course, they're not there. And so it always looks prudent to disinvest in, uh, in, 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 in public goods and services uh, to, to be quote unquote fiscally responsible until of course um, you need those public goods and services and they're missing because you cut their budgets. I mean, and if you look at, you know, in, in the city of Detroit where I was health director, uh, my job was to rebuild a health department that had been shut down, literally defunded. Um, when the state took over the city of Detroit's finances. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful for the work that uh, that we were all able to do to, to rebuild that department so that, you know, now uh, the city has a competent health department. But, you know, we're, we're, we're taking on this pandemic with a health department that's functionally five years old. Um, and that's a function of decisions made at the state level uh, under that Snyder administration uh, that told us that we were doing the right thing by cutting uh, cutting public goods and services and, and tightening our belt for austerity until, of course, we've actually need those those goods and services. So I'm not surprised at all. Um, unfortunately, we've all known this and we've tried to raise the alarm multiple times. But, you know, in doing so, we were told we were being alarmist or uh, or we, we weren't recognizing that um, uh, that that uh, there, there were more efficient ways to run things. Um, but of course, uh, now in the context of a pandemic, it's all clear uh, how important that investment would have been, should have been uh, when we had the time to make it. This year, Michigan businesses have had to adapt. And the Michigan Economic Development Corporation was right there alongside them, helping to connect businesses to new resources, meet new partners, and access the additional capital they needed right from the start. If your business needs support to reach its new potential, the MEDC is available to help in any way we can. Contact us today for customized business assistance at michiganbusiness.org partnership. 
Abdul, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday, November 18th, uh, in the longest year ever. Um, and um, <laughs> and today, uh, Governor Whitmer, or, or excuse me, rather, Robert Gordon, the DHHS director's order, uh, epidemic order, went into effect uh, um, limiting um, uh, indoor gatherings, further uh, closing bars and restaurants to indoor service. Um, and closing um, high schools uh, for a three-week period here uh, at a time when uh, coronavirus cases are uh, at or near 7,000 a day uh, in Michigan uh, and and hospitalizations are getting close to um, our spring peak and um, and we've uh, you know we we're seeing a lot you know and our death rate is going up um, uh, how do you um, how do you, as a former candidate for governor and and epidemiologist, um, how do you grade uh, how Governor Whitmer has handled this uh, pandemic? I think she's done an incredible job, you know, and I, I told her that to her uh, the last time we spoke. She has stood in to make the hard decisions that put the public health and well-being of Michiganders first. And uh, she did so uh, under a lot of duress from Republicans who are taking their talking points from a president who can't even understand that he lost an election, uh, let alone understand the technicalities uh, and the, the the moral responsibility to lead uh, in the midst of uh, this pandemic. So, um, you know, I, I really admire the work that she's done. I think her team has done uh, the, the, the best they could with the circumstances that they had, given the fact that uh, under her predecessor, Rick Snyder, um, they all but decimated so much of uh, the public health infrastructure in our state, uh, in, a, in the communities across the state. Um, and she's done so under under uh, the, the kind of pressure, you know, a kidnapping plot uh, against her safety and the safety of her family um, that I think most of us have never experienced. And so uh, I'm really grateful that my family and I live in a state uh, where we had a governor like like Gretchen Wimmer, uh, who is willing to, to step up. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, so long as we continue to have that kind of leadership, uh, we have the potential um, to, uh, to, to continue to, uh, to, to have a better course of this than other states. That said, we need a federal response. Our public health system is not designed to be run from the bottom up. It is designed to be run from the top down. And the fact that uh, the federal government uh, that, that uniquely can do things like organize you know, an international um, system for uh, acquiring PPE and acquiring testing uh, kit uh, 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 modalities that, that that the fact that we don't have that federal leadership um, and that that state governments can't do those things uh, it has put us behind and uh, has put the entire country behind and so you know for uh, you know governors have made heroic calls but they shouldn't have had to they should have been uh, they should have been given uh, clear leadership from the federal government focused on this pandemic uh, in a time when uh, it is an all hands on deck federal situation. So, uh, you know, I think she's done an amazing job, but I think that uh, it is almost impossible um, to uh, to do everything uh, that one can without the, the support of the federal government giving you the resources and the space uh, to really take on a pandemic and um, uh, and save lives. We're still um, more than sixty days out from. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden uh, uh, taking the oath of office, and and that seems like a long time. Um, we're going to have to navigate this with the current administration and the current administration's um, approach to everything. Um, 
what sh- what should people do? I mean, I mean, just real and real honestly, uh, what what should people individually and what what should states do um, if if nothing changes from the Trump administration uh, as far as the, the response from a federal level here in the next sixty days? That's right, Chad. It doesn't look like we're going to get uh, any different kind of response from the Trump administration uh, over the next sixty days, and. You know, all of us are counting down until a more competent administration that's more focused on taking down this pandemic comes to office. In the interim, we are in a situation right now where we have nearly uncontrolled spread and uh, we are uh, breaking records uh, regularly in terms of case transmission. um, And uh, and we are uh, seeing and nearing those records when it comes to hospitalizations and deaths. And the thing I want folks to understand about where we are right now versus where we were um, in uh, the spring is that earlier on the spring, the pandemic uh, was driven by major case transmission in a few communities. Now we have major case transmission in almost every community. And what's worse is that those major communities that tended to have um, transmission early uh, in the pandemic tended to have better healthcare infrastructure. They tended to have uh, many more hospitals and hospital beds right in the vicinity because they tended to be major cities. Now, so much of the spread is being driven by what's happening in rural communities where there are not the same kind of hospital resources. And uh, even though we've learned a lot about how to protect ourselves from the spread and how to treat um, this disease, if we get to a point where the case transmission overwhelms our hospital capacity, uh, it really could spell disaster. And so Folks have to do those things that we know protect us and uh, protect our communities. Wear a mask if you're going to go out in public. If you are going to be in an enclosed location, uh, wear your mask. It's I know it's annoying. I know it's frustrating. I know uh, there are a lot of discomforts that come with it. But let me tell you, if uh, the choice is between wearing a mask or watching a loved one, Uh, or knowing a loved one is struggling to breathe, uh, even with supplemental oxygen or a respirator, um, I I choose the mask every day. The second is, I I know that there's a lot that we wish we could be doing. I love Thanksgiving, I love football and uh, and, and food and family, and I really wish after this long year that I could tuck into a really nice Thanksgiving with all my family present. But I also know that I don't want to be in a situation uh, where we're lamenting what happened at Thanksgiving because somebody I care about and love got sick. And so physical distancing is critical. And we know that a lot of the pandemic right now is being driven by um, these kinds of small scale uh, individual, you know, multiple family gatherings in a home. And Thanksgiving is exactly that. And so we've got to really make a choice, a hard choice, I know, but a choice uh, about how we protect ourselves and our families uh, this Thanksgiving. And it may mean that, you know, each nuclear family cooks their own meal and uh, we enjoy it together via Zoom. uh, but then, you know, the, the last point I'll, I'll make is that uh, we've got to make a decision as a society about what institutions matter the most. You know, as a parent of a toddler and you're a parent of a of a of a um, elementary school aged uh, kid, going to school is so absolutely critical for both of their futures. And I just think that, you know, if, if it comes to a choice between keeping, uh, you know, K through eight open versus keeping bars and restaurants uh, open for dine in. I, I would pick the schools every day, and I think a mature society that's got its uh, its 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 goals in line um, and its values in line would pick that too. And so I know this is hard. I know this is a challenge, but we've got to get through it because when the historians write about this pandemic, they're going to be writing about this search. They're not going to be writing um, about 
uh, what happened in the spring, because this is going to be uh, the main story. And the last point I'll say is this. We absolutely fundamentally need a coronavirus relief package now. Um, the squabbling that we've seen on Capitol Hill, Mitch McConnell uh, holding, hoarding things to die, uh, it is hurting Americans. Uh, there were awful images uh, out of Dallas of cars lined up to get food assistance right now. Um, this should not mean that you know 246,000 and counting people lose their lives and then million more, millions more lose their livelihoods. We can do this in a way uh, that does not force people to eat the economic consequences uh, of fighting this virus. We can do both at the same time. It just has to be a choice that we make to recognize that this pandemic is real, uh, that we have to do what we can to take it on, and that we have to provide people with the economic support that they need, uh, even while we're tightening our belts uh, to protect ourselves from the disease. Yeah, to your point earlier about uh, the rural communities uh, being more at risk, right now in Michigan, there are four hospitals uh, in East Tawas, St. Joseph, Standish, and Alma that are at, uh, at, they're at, they're at, that are at capacity. Uh, and there's another uh, 15 hospitals that are north of 90%. Um, uh, and they're in every corner of the state. Um, and so... Um, yeah, our hospital resources are pretty, pretty stretched pretty thin right now. Um, but in particular, and I and I, the East Talos one kind of hit home because uh, I, I spent a lot of time with my uh, my uh, wife's family up in Oscoda, and so I know um, I know that hospital uh, had had loved ones mm. there before. So, um, so yeah, it is um, it is not a good situation. Um, Abdul, as we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, uh, you, you are, I, I see you on CNN, uh, and you got your podcast, uh, and, 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 um, uh, you got your political action committee, uh, Southpaw, uh, what, what's next for you? Um, as we, as we enter, um, 2021, are you going to run for office again someday? Maybe someday, you know, we started out this conversation, uh, rightly by talking about our daughters and, um, it's really critical to me that I, you know, I, a lot of people can do a lot of different jobs, but one job that I can uniquely do is be a good dad to my daughter. And so I, I really take that seriously. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about that. But then I also know that we are in the midst of a global pandemic that, you know, as an epidemiologist, physician and, and former health director, um, that, you know, my major focus is and has been the pandemic. And if there's an opportunity uh, to support in, uh, in taking that on and, and finally bringing it uh, down, uh, that, uh, that that's one that I, I would really uh, relish. So, you know, I don't know um, exactly what next steps will look like, but um, I'm going to continue to focus on the pandemic and the circumstances uh, of inequity and injustice that uh, created the, the, the pandemic that we're dealing with right now. And, you know, whether it means uh, running for office or serving in another capacity uh, or continuing as, a, as an advocate, um, uh, you know, I hope that the, the, the work that it, that is inspired uh, the, 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 the sort of different um, engagements that I've been a part of uh, continues forward, that the ideals and the values um, underneath that work uh, continues to speak uh, directly toward uh, changing uh, facts on the ground for, for a lot of folks um, who are suffering in this moment. So, uh, you know, we'll see what, where that takes me. Uh, but uh, but um, either way, I want to be working on the same set of issues. Have you had any conversations with the Biden transition team? Well, I've been um, as supportive as I could through the through the uh, campaign, and you know, and even into the transition, I had the privilege of serving on the Healthcare Unity Task Force uh, mm -hmm. to help to shape um, the platform that uh, the president-elect ran on, and um, you know, have been as supportive as I can whenever uh, there's an opportunity that uh, that folks ask for any input. Uh, but we've got some incredibly competent folks um, who are 
uh, ready to take office on January 20th at 12 o'clock. Um, I know that they're going to hit the ground running and, um, uh, you know, whatever opportunity I have to, to be a part of it or to support them, uh, you know, I, I would willingly take on because we are in the midst of uh, an unheralded uh, pandemic that, uh, you know, needs all hands on deck. And so whichever way I can support, I want to be a part of supporting. Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed, thank you for joining us uh, on the uh, Detroit Rising podcast. And for listeners, uh, please check out uh, Abdul's book, uh, Healing Politics. Chad, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of uh, health and, 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 and goodwill to you and your family. Um, I hope that uh, the holidays are enjoyable and safe. Same to you. I'm Chad Livingood, Senior Editor at Crane Detroit Business, and you've been listening to my interview with Abdul Al-Sayed. As we head into this precarious Thanksgiving holiday, please be safe and look out for the health and well-being of others. And thank you for listening this week. 2020 took a different path than we expected, but it definitely didn't slow our pace. Planet M has helped private and public entities work together to advance the future of mobility technology along a challenging course. Working together has been the key to staying on the right path. So whether you're just getting started or already an industry leader, Planet M is your connection to Michigan's mobility ecosystem and our future. If you're ready to make a move with your business, see how we can help at planetm.com slash pure hyphen partnership.